0: hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. And we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, it's good to know that that grace is for us still today. Amen? Amen. That's what we need. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey. Uh, If we haven't met yet, welcome. Uh, If it's your first time here, welcome. We're glad uh, you decided to join us or or you're watching online today. Uh, We're thankful that you're with us, and we hope that you get something from God's Word today. Uh, Last week, we kicked off a brand new sermon series that we are calling Back at It, where we are looking at prioritizing our relationship with Jesus. In week one, we looked at John chapter 21, and how Peter and the boys, they go back to fishing for fish instead of what Jesus told them to go fishing for men. Look at Bible scholars this morning. Thank you. All right. So instead of fishing for men, they go back to their old way of living, right? They're looking at how they used to. And this wasn't just like a a boys weekend trip to Keyhole or to Smith or anything like that just to throw the pole in the water. This was them returning to an old lifestyle before Jesus, right? But in their BC days, as I usually say. And remember, this is something that's all too familiar to us as well. Even today, this may have happened a long, long time ago, but this still happens here today because sometimes there's something that happens in life and it just tosses a curveball, doesn't it? Like we were not expecting that whole COVID shutdown. We weren't expecting a lot of things that happen in life. Maybe we lose a loved one. Or circumstances come up beyond our control, and we end up taking a break from someone or something that we love. And, and sadly, that someone is usually Jesus, right? And sadly, that something is usually being a part of the body, right? The church. Remember, this building is not a church. This is just where we meet. The people here, we are the church. We are the ones who go out and spread the gospel to, to the world, And our goal here, as we are getting back at it, like we're talking about, we want to get back to following Jesus and to prioritizing our relationship with him so that we can get out into the world and share the message, right? We don't want to be uh, just content with where we are with Jesus, right? We want to keep pressing forward for the gospel and for the expansion of the kingdom, you know, I mentioned a verse last week, and somebody had brought it up to me. They were asking about that, that verse about why should we come to church together. And so I wanted to kick off with this, and it says, oh, there it is. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. Right, That's a good thing to do. When we gather together, what do we get to do? We get to provoke love and good works. Those are great things. Those are things that we should look forward to as we gather together as a body. And then it says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Right? There's a lot of people, and I was in this boat for a long time, it's like, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, or, or I, don't, uh, I don't like Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we're, we're all here for the same reason, right? Because we're, we're all looking to the perfect one, and it's not us. And so that's one of the things he's saying is like, come together so that you can be encouraged, right? You can encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching, as we look forward to Jesus returning for his bride, which is the church. So we talked about that a little bit. And then we also discussed a second point when it came... Uh, to the picture of the boys right They're out in the boat, and, and they see this guy on the shoreline. They, they can't tell who it is. He's about 100 yards off, and maybe it's foggy that morning on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, finally, they hear this guy say, hey, put your net on the other side of the boat. And so they do, and, and they, they have this massive haul of fish, right? They catch everything from a muddy catfish to a holy mackerel, like they catch all the fish in between there. And Peter gets so excited because he now knows that it's Jesus. And so he, he bails out of the water, starts swimming to him. Maybe he thought he could run on water again. I don't know. But he dives in and he starts working hard to get to Jesus. And the others start to bring the fish in, right? They're, they're hauling them in because there's so many fish. And, and this picture that we get here is that these guys are coming back to life, Now remember, they went back to the old, but now they're coming back to Jesus, who is known as the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, that's right. So they're coming back to life, to the eternal life that is found in Christ alone. And then we wrapped up our service with some questions that that you were supposed to reflect on. Uh, Did you guys do your homework? Did anybody do your homework? Yeah, a few? Okay. What, the rest of you, did your dog eat your homework? Okay, I still use that excuse too, like, oh, sorry, the honeydew list, uh, the dog ate it, whatever, it's gone. It's a lame excuse, but I still use it today. But one of the questions I had asked you was this. When you sin, do you run towards Jesus, or do you run away from Jesus? When you sin, do you run towards him, or do you run away from him? Remember, Peter first encountered uh, Jesus, it was in Luke chapter 5. It was a story very similar to what we went through with the the catching of fish. And and when Peter saw the the power of Jesus, he, he said, Lord, go away from me because I am a sinful man. But now, after being with Jesus for so long, he now knows that when he sins, he wants to swim to Jesus. He wants to be with him and seek forgiveness for what he has been doing, right? Peter now understands the gospel, because remember that it's the gospel that compels us to run to Jesus Christ and to seek forgiveness and to walk in repentance, right? The world and, and the flesh and the enemy, they're going to say, no, 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 you don't need to go to church. Just follow your heart. Don't do that. They're going to say, just, just be on your own, be by yourself and, and take some time. No, don't isolate like that they're going to say, well, you're probably just too broken anyway, so, so you can't go back to church because nobody's, nobody's going to accept you. That's a lie as well. Because you know the gospel shines the brightest through broken people. If you don't believe me, go read the book of Hebrews chapter 11. That whole hall of faith that they call it there is full of broken and messy people just like me. Okay? And so, Today, what we're going to see, what happens after we come back to life in Christ and how he restores us to do his will. That's what we're going to be looking at today, and then we're going to look at another guy by the name of Paul today who decided to press on for the gospel, all right? He prioritized his relationship with Jesus and pressed on to further the gospel. Before we go on, though, let's pray and just ask God to bless our time together. Uh, Father, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for those songs that we got to sing, Lord. I I pray that they were so much more than just words on a screen to us. God, that these were actually prayers that come come from our hearts, Lord. I'm reminded of the book of Revelation where it says that the, the incense rising to you, Lord, were, were the prayers of the saints, were the prayers of those who, who follow you. And God, I pray that that would be the case for us, that, that the songs we sing, that the words that come out of our mouths, the meditations of our heart, Lord, would be acceptable and pleasing to you. And so God, as we wrap up John 21 today and, and look at Philippians 3, I pray that your word would be revealed to us in, in, a, in a true way. God, in your context and in a way that will challenge us to to live as true believers in you. We thank you for today, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you remember last week... We saw Jesus was kind of setting up the scene for these guys, right? He had, he had gotten to the shore. He said, hey, put, put your net on the other side. This was something they heard back in Luke 5. And so they're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. Even though they're professional fishermen, they're going to take fishing advice from somebody who's not, apparently. They don't know it was Jesus yet. And so they go ahead and do this, and voila, they catch this, this 153 fish is what they got, and remember, this is exactly what happened to them roughly three years ago when they first encountered Jesus. And, and these guys, they, they weren't nothing special, really, to the society. They weren't anything like the, the kind of the top of the, of the community. No, these guys instead, what, what, it, what would have happened is they would have tried to follow a rabbi. They would have tried to follow a teacher And then they end up getting rejected because they're not good enough. They're not smart enough. Something like that happens. And they say, why don't you go back to your family's business? Why don't you go work for your family business? And so we got guys like Peter, James, and John. They go back to fishing for fish. And this is excellent news for us, you guys, because this just shows, once again, that Jesus comes to seek those out. He comes to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. These guys are out in a boat on their own, and Jesus comes to find them. They weren't out there begging to follow Jesus. No, he came to them and found them, and that is great news for all of us. right? He is here to restore us to himself so that we can get back at it for his kingdom. All right, so let's jump into verse 9 this morning. If you got your Bibles, we'll be in John 21, verse 9. I'll be reading from the CSB version this morning. All right. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. So, so these guys finally get to the shoreline. right? They, they're in their boat, and they, they're pulling their fish up. And then you've also got this, I'm sure, out of breath, but soaking wet Peter standing there with them. And they, they see this thing. It says, first, that they saw a charcoal fire there. Did you know there's only two times in the New Testament where we see that word charcoal fire? It's, it's pretty fascinating. The first time we see it is over starting in John 18, verse 17. And it says, The servant girl who was a doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of those man's disciples, too, are you? I am not, he said. And now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. You know, it was usually uncommon for a charcoal fire to be used for for just heating purposes. Usually they would just take some logs, throw it on the fire, kind of like we do in our fireplaces, right? Or at a bonfire, they would just take wood and and do that. Maybe they were out of wood. I'm not sure why they used charcoal in this instance. Uh, But one thing we do know is charcoal is usually used for cooking. Even back then it was used for cooking. Um, and, and so Jesus is doing exactly that. He's cooking them, uh, he's cooking this, uh, this fish and this bread right on the shore. And we see this charcoal fire, though, that, that's burning. And I can't help but wonder if, if Peter starts to smell that smell of charcoal. You know, he gets to the shore and he starts to smell it. And, and I wonder if that's also setting the scene for him, if he's starting to remember that night that he denied Jesus three times. You know, they say that our, our sense of smell is actually the strongest scent that or sense that we have. It's able to just bring back memories, vivid pictures, just like that. You know, when I was a kid, my grandpa, he, he exclusively cooked with charcoal. That was his thing. And so I remember, you know, there's always that huge bag of Kingsford. You guys remember that? That big old bag? And, and if you took one out, your hand was covered in soot for a week, it seemed like. But... We had that bag of charcoal, and I remember just how it smelled. It had a distinct smell. Um, Usually, Grandpa smelled more like the lighter fluid than anything because he couldn't keep it lit. So maybe yours smelled a little better than mine, but that's, yeah, that is what it is. And so between the the fishing lesson, between the huge haul of fish and the charcoal fire, Jesus is dropping these hints, and he's setting the tone to remind Peter of what he did and then restore him to who he's going to be. Right? He's going to remind Peter to press on for the gospel, to get back at it so that the world can know who Jesus is, so that they can be saved. Verse 10, let's go there. Verse 10 through 11. It says this, Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Man, he did it himself there. He must be way stronger than all the disciples put together. He was a burly guy, apparently. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. So you remember in verse 9, it said that Jesus was already cooking fish and bread. So he really didn't need all of their fish. He, he already had what he was going to do. And Remember, Jesus can multiply fish and bread inside of a basket. I'm sure he could do it inside of a frying pan here, too, on the beach. So he really didn't need them to, to bring that up. But what's, what's fascinating to me is that he wanted to use them. He wanted what they were doing to be a part of what he was doing. You know, there was a while back that uh, Brittany and I, we had ordered some, some of that cube storage that, that you can just, you know, throw all the toys in and then you close it. It makes it look nice, but it's really not on the inside of the box. And uh, then we also bought a dresser for my son, and, and we were putting this thing together. But uh, when, when it first arrived, I, I opened the box, and apparently Walmart is taking um, ideas from Ikea, because this thing comes in about a million pieces and pieces of wood and instructions that I don't understand because they're in 14 different languages and not one of them's English. And, and I can't get these, these hieroglyphic pictures that are on this thing. I don't understand what's going on. It looked like it was going to take an hour, but this thing ends up taking like half of my weekend. And so that's a, and that's a different sermon. I will uh, seek help for my dysfunctional relationship with Walmart. Uh, we can start a CR group for that, guys. All right. So that's, there's a group for that right on. But anyways, we, we get all these parts and all these pieces. They're just laid out on the floor, right? It looks like Legoland kind of in here. And, and we're getting ready to go. And then Quinn, uh, she's my, my oldest daughter. She's a little over three. And, and she says, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to build these, these shelves and this, uh, this dresser here. She's like, can Can I help? Absolutely, you can help. Like I got excited. Like, cool. She she wants to hang out with dad, and and so I gave her that tiny little screwdriver. You know, you pay like five hundred bucks for a for a dresser, and they give you a free screwdriver. Yeah, or they give you the. You know, maybe it's you pay six hundred dollars for the screwdriver, you get a free dresser. I don't know how that works. And so I give her that little screwdriver with, with, that came with the kit. And I got her some little screws set up and these things. And I gave her some of those wooden dowels that come in so you can put everything together. And, and so she's sitting there. We're working on righty tidy, lefty-loosey. She's figuring some of that stuff out. And, and then just like her mother, she takes the back of the screwdriver and starts hammering the wooden dowels. And I was like, Quinn, don't, don't do that. I'll get you a hammer. I'll show you what a hammer is. She's like, yeah, I'm hammering. And she's just so excited. And so, the, as, the evening, as the evening goes on, and we're getting close to, to wrapping up these jobs, and, and she started her little portion and her little section, and, and of course, I've got to go over to her side, and I've got to tighten everything down, I've got to push all these, these pieces back together, and, and uh, hammer down all those dowels the rest of the way, and, and sometimes she did it wrong. Right, she's she's three, she's gonna do it wrong, and, and I'd have to come fix it or redo it, and, and it definitely took a lot longer to build these things. But at the end of the day, when when the dresser was built and these storage cubes were built, she just looked at me and said, Daddy, we did a great job, didn't we? You know, I didn't look at her and say, Kid, let's level. <laughs> all right, first of all, you made the project take longer. You didn't know how to use a hammer, and everything would have fallen apart if I didn't come and redo your work. No, I didn't do any of that. I was so filled with excitement and joy that she wanted to be about what her dad was doing, that she wanted to hang out with me, and and that that just blessed my heart. And God does the exact same thing with us because when Jesus uses our feeble efforts even though we get in the way we say the wrong thing we make mistakes we make the job take longer he is just so stoked to hear that god we we did that together didn't we right that was led by the holy spirit we did that god right because he wants to use us he wants us to be about the father's business and nothing makes God's heart happier to see his sons and his daughters partake in kingdom work and take an interest in the ministry of reconciliation to put him at the top of our priority list and to bring the gospel, uh, the, the good news to the people of the world. And that's what he wants us to get back at for him as well. You know, he created us for this reason because he enjoys our friendship and our relationship with him and and he likes these guys so much he likes us so much that he ends up cooking these guys breakfast right there on the shore let's look at verse 12 verse 12 says this come and have breakfast jesus told them none of the disciples dared ask him who are you because they knew it was the lord jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and he did the same with the fish This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you guys remember the the story of the Last Supper? Well, now we got the last breakfast, okay? This is the last breakfast right here. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, who was there before the foundation of the world had been laid, before the foundation of the universe was even there, is still a humble servant, He washed the disciples' feet. He said, I came to serve and not be served. And even after these guys run away from him, they deny him, they pretty much spit in his face. He still turns around and serves them breakfast. Wow, that's a huge love. That is a huge love. Jesus has now set everything up. He's ready to restore Peter to his ministry. And Jesus is going to restore Peter publicly because he actually denied Jesus publicly. There was a pastor by the name of uh, Harry, or Henry Ironside. Uh, he taught at uh, the Moody Church in, in Chicago, I think back in like 1920, somewhere around there. But he said these words about this portion of scripture. He said, Jesus dealt in this public way with Peter in order that the others might realize that Christ once again had confidence in him. man. This confidence that Christ has in Peter, that he has in us likewise as believers and followers of Jesus, shows us that we are also reinstated to get back at it for him. Because God uses, again, broken and messy people, right? He did it in Hebrews 11, as we can read. He did it all through the Old Testament. He does it still today. And that is great news for all of us. But in this instance right here, what we are going to see is the restoration of Peter. So if you're taking notes, write that down, the restoration of Peter. That'll be point number one today, the restoration of Peter. It takes us to verse 15. It says this, when they had eaten, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. In a second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. All right. First, we see that Jesus asks Peter, hey, do, do you love me? But you notice he, he doesn't call him Peter right here. What does he call him? Simon, ouch. That's who he was before he came to Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who gave him the name Peter, which means the rock, right? Or as his friends call him, Rocky. So he's Rocky now. However, when he denied Jesus, he wasn't really that firm foundation. He was such a sinking sand in that portion. And then Jesus asked him, hey, do you love me more than these? And I, I think Peter, he just doesn't get it yet, right? Kind of like that video we saw. He's like, well, do I love you more than these, these fish? Do I love you more than these disciples? Of course I love you more than that, Jesus. You know that. So Jesus told him to feed my lambs. He didn't say feed your lambs. He said feed my lambs. Jesus makes it clear that this is his flock and not Peter's. And he gets the question again. He says, Peter, do you love me? I think Peter's starting to think here. Like, why Why'd you ask me again? And the two times here that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It's actually the Greek word love right there is agapeo, or as sometimes we hear it as agape around here, right? And it speaks of this all-giving, uncaused, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. This love that gives just for the sake of giving and doesn't expect anything else in return. That's the word Jesus used here twice. But Peter, however, he said, yeah, Lord, I, I love you. But he ended up using the the Greek word, as we know, as phileo. You guys ever heard of Philadelphia? It's a city of brotherly love, right? That's what Peter is saying. He's like, Jesus, I I love you like a pal. He's like, yeah, you're you're my best friend, right? Like, you're you're a good man. And then we go to verse 17, and Jesus is going to ask him a third time here. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? now Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So when Jesus asked him this time, he doesn't say, do you agape me? He says, do you phileo me? He used the same word that Peter was using here. You know, there are some scholars who think that we read too much into this because agape and phileo sometimes are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And and that's fine, but I I really honestly think that the context here shows us something deep about this. right? It shows that, that there's something else going on here. That's just my opinion. But I think Jesus is asking Peter a tough question. He's like, okay, I asked you if you unconditionally loved me, and you said you loved me as a friend. And then Jesus says, Peter do you love me as a friend are we even friends anymore that's what grieved peter that's what he was hurt by he was hurt by this question and peter then finally says one of the smartest things that he ever does remember peter is really good at just opening his mouth and talking but this is one of the good ones he said he says lord you know everything Jesus knew that Peter loved him. And Jesus was giving Peter the opportunity to profess that love publicly, out loud, three times, just like he professed his denial in Jesus publicly three times, out loud, several weeks before this happened. And you know what I love here? Notice this. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, are you sorry for what you did? Peter, he's not shaking his finger at him, right? said, do you put your pinky up? Do you promise? Do you pinky swear to never do that again? He doesn't do any of that to him. He challenges Peter to do one thing. What is it? Love. He challenges Peter to love. Jesus knew Peter's heart more than Peter knew his own heart. And he knew that if he would just love like we're called to do as believers—to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength—and then to love others the same, and to love others as you love yourself, then the rest of that is going to just fall right into place. Right? The rest is just rock and roll. You know, we started doing that with our kids. Actually, we we had read this verse. And we started thinking about that, and so I'm, I'm really good about uh, if if my son goes and hits my daughter, I'm like, hey. Go say you're sorry. That's not okay. Don't hit your sister or vice versa. And instead, Brittany tried this the other day. She said, uh, Quinn, do you love your brother? She's Well, yeah. Then, then why did you hit him? She just, you know, she doesn't know yet. She's still trying to figure out the why question. And she's like, what do we do if we love someone? And she walked over to him. She gave him a hug, said, I'm sorry, Bubba, and gave him a kiss. That was, wow. I guess this thing still uh, still applies today, Amen. Yeah, okay. But when we give our lives and our hearts over to Christ, when we truly accept him and follow him with our lives, when we trust in the finished work of the cross, that when he died on the cross, it was hanging there, and he said, it is finished, when we believe that that counted for us as well, when we trust in that, then repentance and obedience will follow. And that stuff's just naturally going to start coming out of us when we trust Jesus with our lives. When we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us his way and not our own way. That stuff is going to come right out of us. And so now what happens? Peter, he gets restored here by the Lord. And then we're told down in verse 19 that Jesus tells him again, follow me. And that's so cool, because that was one of the first things Jesus ever said to him. He said, okay, come and follow me. Man, he's got this huge picture of restoring Peter. I love this. And this is something that Peter needs to know here and that we need to know as well. Because when Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say it's going to be easy. But he knows that it's going to be worth it. Church history tells us that Peter actually was crucified upside down because he said, I I am not worthy to die the same death as my Lord. And so they turned him upside down and crucified him that way. You know, he probably would have got crucified back when he denied Jesus if he would have said, yeah, I'm a follower. And now he got another chance to redeem that situation. How cool is that? And even though Peter was going to die this brutal death, this nasty, disgusting death, he's going to follow Jesus to the end. And so just like we said, following Jesus won't always be easy, but it'll always be worth it. And one thing we also need to note is that when Jesus says, follow me, he's, he's not offering the second chance at life, okay? Because if, if we had second chance, we'd blow that one, and a third chance, we're going to blow that one, and, and a thousand chances, we're going to blow every one of those things. But Jesus doesn't offer a second chance. He offers a new life, his life for yours. Man, these words, follow me here, they're, they're written in the present tense, okay? So, so what Jesus is saying, he's follow, follow me, but he's saying, keep follow me, keep following me, keep going, don't stop, press on forward for the gospel here. There are times, church, that it's not gonna be easy, but it'll be worth it. And so Peter, here, he gets restored. He has now put Jesus first in his life. He's prioritized his life with Christ. And so now what happens next? Well, this is actually where everything begins as a believer and follower of Jesus, right? Because this is where he hits the starting line of his faith to run the race now of life. What we see next is going to happen in uh, the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles with you, go ahead and flip to Philippians 3. And we're going to kick off in verse 12 here. And so we're going to look at what Paul says about now that that you're following Jesus, what it looks like to press on in your faith, what it looks like to get back at it after you've been restored to Christ. And he says these words here. Whoops, I didn't. There we go. All right. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is, per- what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And so what this is going to do is bring us to our second point today, which is the reputation of Saul. Okay, the reputation of Saul. Is so what we're going to see here in Philippians 3 is that Paul is going to speak just at length of his confidence when it comes to his faith in Christ. And then he writes this in verse 13 here. He says, forgetting, one thing I do is this, forgetting what is behind. Stop right there. The what lies behind is the life of Saul, not Paul. And if you're new to this, this whole Jesus Christianity thing, let me, let me just give you a quick little breakdown there was a guy by the name of Saul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was kind of the top dog of everything that he did. And when after Jesus had rose again, Paul was on a mission to kill the Christians and to snuff out Christianity. Paul was out there killing believers. He was uh, having people kill them. You, you remember Stephen from Acts 6, how he was stoned to death? Paul was actually there holding those guys' coats as they were stoning Stephen to death. This guy was not something that you wanted to mess with. But after meeting Jesus, right, Paul's on, or Saul is on his way uh, uh, to this town called Damascus. He's going there, and Jesus shows himself to Saul, and asks, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and Saul now sees, okay, this this is truly the one that the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament. And then Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul, right? But back then, Saul, like I was saying, he was very successful. His family, they were Roman citizens, which was a high authority. He was known as the Hebrew of Hebrews back in verse 5, you know, today, maybe Saul would have been that blue blood from the prominent family who's got this distinguished pedigree, right? He would have probably went to Harvard or an Ivy League school. He would have been top of his class. But, and then he would find himself as like the, the CEO of a giant company, just living the dream, right? Living for the world, but losing his soul is what he would have been doing. So Saul was that first portion in verse 13 that we just looked at. But what's next shows us the revelation of Paul. The revelation, excuse me, of Paul. So now let's look at this through the eyes of Paul now and not who he used to be, Saul. He says this, brothers and sisters, uh, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also taken hold of it been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Man, verse 12 is so refreshing to me because you got this guy named Paul who, who writes these words while he's sitting in a prison under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says something so humble here. He says, I have not reached the goal and I am not perfect. And, and I did some, some dating, some back work on this. Uh, Saul or Paul would have come to Christ in roughly 33 AD, right? Paul writes this letter roughly 61 or 62 AD. So if you're good with math, how long has Paul been a Christian? Roughly 30 years, and he still hasn't reached the goal of perfection. Anyone else go like, phew, like that's nice to know, right? Paul is still reaching very, he's still pressing on for the good news. He hasn't become perfect He's not just going to sit in his little holy huddle and act like he's got it all figured out. No, he's going to get out there and share the gospel. Right? He writes these words while he's in prison, and he's still making every effort to make sure that anyone and everyone hears the gospel. He says that I haven't taken hold of it, but I'm not taking my eyes off of the prize. And the prize is Jesus himself. Right? Paul knew that he hadn't arrived and there was only one option for him. And it goes on to tell us that he makes every effort to take hold of it. Other translations say, I press on. I like that. I press on for the goal. You know, he's not pressing on just with these, this head knowledge that he has or, or just knowing what's going on. It's good to study, it's good to get words in our head, but if it never hits our heart, that's usually worthless information. So, A lot of times they'll say that the the longest distance that we'll ever go is from the head to the heart. It's about a foot. So that's what needs to happen, right? Not just head knowledge, but true heart transformation to follow and obey God's word. Paul said, hey, there's no turning back. There's only getting back at it for God. And what Paul, and, and not Saul anymore, but what Paul realizes now is that what truly matters in life wasn't the stuff or, or the accolades of who he was before. Because he says back in verse 8 that it's all rubbish compared to the greatness of knowing God. We actually find that word rubbish, like I said, back in verse 8. But rubbish is such a mild word for what Paul actually says. He uses the Greek word here. It's... um. Oh, let me see. I forgot it right off the top of my head, of course. Sh- scubalon. There it is. Scubalon. Can you guys say Scubalon? Scubalon. Congratulations. You just cussed in church. Repent, okay? That's all I'm telling you. Repent. No, we find that that's what Paul says back in verse eight here, and the word doesn't just mean rubbish. Maybe if you're from, like, maybe if you're from the Great Britain or you're British, you know, maybe you you step in, oh, you step in some rubbish or something like that, because what it actually means is animal dung. Okay, Shkubulon means animal dung, and let's be real, like this is Wyoming, right? Nobody says that they stepped in a pile of rubbish, like it's, that's not what they say. Uh, some people might say that, but that's usually not what we say in Wyoming. What do you say? No, don't say it, actually. Don't say it. I know what you guys say. If I say it, I'll get fired, so I'm not saying it, right? My boss is here this morning. I can't be doing that. No, we say, oh, man, I stepped in a huge pile of scubillon, right? That's usually what we say. Or that's what you're going to say now, I hope. But he's saying that his accomplishments, everything he had in life, everything that was going on was just animal dung, right? It was crap to knowing Jesus. Wow, that's huge. Because he was, again, at the top of his game. And this may seem hard for, for Paul to get back at it, right? He's, he's sitting in prison and he's writing these letters to churches and to, uh, to Timothy and to, he's, he's writing all these letters as he's being persecuted. And it's just so encouraging to me to see Paul has it much more difficult than I do than I probably ever will. And yet he continues to strive forward to make sure that everybody knows about Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to drift in our faith because of that pull of the world because the world says, well, just do this or just do that and you'll be happy, right? The pressure of the world just to have success in their own ways. When that happens, it's, it's good to remember the words of Paul here so that we can continue to get back at it for following Jesus. And then we can jump into whatever ministry fits the gifting or, that he's given us or the talents that he's given us. And I've heard some people say, well, well, God's never given me any talents or any gifts. Well, that's, that's bull scubulon, okay? That's, that's not true at all. The word tells us that God has gifted all of his children with gifts and talents. You may not know what that is yet, but it's a great time to get plugged into a ministry and find that out. You know, maybe it's working with little kids. Maybe you just love little kids. Uh, the nursery or, or children's church, that'd be a great place to get plugged in. Right, youth group on Wednesday nights. Uh, Matt can testify to this there. And Justin, there's over a hundred kids that constantly come on Wednesday nights. Can we give it up for Pastor Chris and the whole team? Them guys are tired. They're tired. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of teenagers. So maybe that's an area you work with or you're good with is teenagers. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you like giving people coffee and donuts and all that. Join the hospitality team or chatting with people. Like Get on the greeting team or talk to our missions deacon if you want to go out and spread the message to the world. Right? We all have gifts that we can use to further the kingdom of God. Because remember, there is no such thing as a useless person in God's kingdom. There's no such thing as a useless person in the kingdom of heaven. So right there is the revelation of Paul that he has in verse 13. And he says that thing, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and then straining forward to what is ahead. He's forgetting everything behind him and he's straining forward for what's ahead. Everything now is in light of Jesus saving him and setting him apart for the kingdom. Nothing else matters. And when we get back at it, it's important to remember that all of our accomplishments, all of our accolades, all of our success, our prizes in the world don't matter even anything close to Jesus. Because remember, Christ tells us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose a soul? It's really not worth it. Sometimes we hold on to those worldly things for, for personal or nostalgic reasons. Uh, I remember when the, when the movie Up came out. Do you guys remember that movie, Up? Yeah, that was, that was a great movie. Well, if you haven't seen it, there, one of the main characters, his name is Carl. And Carl, his, his wife dies toward the beginning of this movie. And he's living in this house alone now. And, and he associates his home and all of its contents with his late beloved wife. And then as the movie goes on, he's clearly weighing himself down because he's literally dragging his house around everywhere with him. And it's slowing him down. It's hindering his mobility. But when he, he finally makes these friends towards the end of the movie, when he sees that they're in danger, he doesn't hesitate to just throw it all away and go to what truly matters in this life to help them out. So what about you today? What life-changing moment, maybe like Carl, have you experienced that makes you realize what truly matters in life? Because I think we all go through those times, those, those portions that are gonna challenge us. Do you actually trust me? Jesus will tell us. Do you follow me? Jesus will ask us. Do you believe me? Jesus will ask us. Paul clearly sees now what truly matters in his life, that our purpose as human beings on this planet is to know Jesus and to make him known. That's our purpose. Because knowing Jesus helps us understand everything else in our life. If you need a main point for the focus today of this sermon, this is it right here. Knowing Jesus helps us understand everything else in our life. It gives us purpose. It gives us drive, right? It gives us meaning to this life. And so, like old Carl, right, dragging around this, this worldly thing, it's on his back, this huge house that's that's holding him back from getting back at it for the world. What is hindering you from getting back at it when it comes to following Jesus or getting connected and plugging in to the church? Right? Do you have church hurt? Welcome to the club, right? When journey started, I remember we called ourselves the Island of Misfit Toys, and I I really enjoy that because we can all just come together no matter where we've been, no matter what's happened, no matter your denominational background, and we can just worship together and we can go through God's word together, and that is a beautiful thing that can happen. And so what's stopping you? Is it that? Is it maybe you haven't prioritized Jesus in your life? That you know your your job and everything else, like your your activities, maybe those are higher than than where Jesus is. Maybe, maybe it's your, your paycheck. You have to have that paycheck. And so I, God, I'm gonna put my paycheck above you. It could be that. But what's stopping you from getting back at it for God? Because, like we talked, Paul sees now it's important. He's not looking at the rearview mirror anymore. He's looking at what's directly ahead. He's looking through the windshield. If you keep your eyes on the rearview mirror, what happens? Usually, drive in the ditch or you hit somebody else, right? You cannot keep your eyes in the past. You have to keep your eyes forward. You have to press on for the gospel of Jesus, right? No matter what happens in life, no matter what stones are thrown your way or what prison you're sk- sitting in or what, what pile of scubulon that you step in, it doesn't matter. Instead of falling back into who you were before Jesus, remember that you're a new creation now and follow Him. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the rearview mirror. Don't dwell in those things. Instead, grow in the knowledge of God by concentrating your relationship with Him now, not what it could be or not what it was back then, but right now is the time to have a fresh start. Now look forward to a fuller and more meaningful life to get back at it and to do that. Come talk to us, right? We want to talk to you. We want to get you plugged in. We want to further your relationship with Jesus Christ, not just on the outside, but inside is what matters. We want you to be healed of, of whatever pain you have in your heart so that you can press on for him today. Let's pray and then we'll sing one more song together and worship together. Father, we are grateful for today. We're grateful for your word that's been given to us, Lord, that we can see that no matter what happens in this life, that there is so much to be thankful for. God, that no matter the the trials that come our way, no matter the, the scubulon as we keep talking about, Lord, no matter what happens in this life, you are there for us and you're never against us. And so, God, I pray today that whatever we've came in here with, that we would be excited about your word and what it tells us, that we would be excited to get back at it for you, Lord, that we wouldn't be scared to get back at it. God, that we would just plug right in, that we would talk to somebody, that we would uh, get into a life group. God, we don't want to just forsake the assembling together, but we want to provoke love and good works and encouragement to one another. God, thank you for who you are. I thank you for today and, and again, just for your word that it transforms us and it gives us purpose in this life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.